Hello and a very warm welcome to the first episode of the Durang Email Marketing Podcast. My name is Ben Hocking, Client Success Manager at Durang. And this podcast over the coming months is intended to speak to some people in email marketing who are going to have some very interesting stories to share um, from the world of strategy, data, content, design, everything in between. We're going to be getting some great stories from some really exciting guests uh, and I'm delighted to say we've got two very good guests for our first episode. So firstly, um, joining me, my partner in crime, um, I guess is the best uh, description, uh, also client success manager at Durang is Hannah Vaughan. Hannah, thank you for joining me. Yeah, I like that description. That's good. <laughs> crime, crime is the thing we're best at, really. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Um, and very delighted to say we've also got Nick Crawford, who is the owner of Twist Consultancy, who uh, deal with the implementation of strategy for businesses and also the head of strategy at Durang. So, Nick, thank you very much for joining us. That's a pleasure. That's a great big intro. That's uh, that's that's almost frightening in terms of reaching that uh, ambition this early on. But uh, thank you. Should I have done it? Should I have done it the other way around and sort of yeah, <laughs> overachieve rather than underachieve? Anyway, yes, thank you very much, both of you, for joining today. We'd thought since we're in sort of the early part of the year, strategy is uh, a pretty good one to start with, considering it's your area of expertise, Nick. And yeah, also time of the year, it seems to make the most sense. A lot of businesses are going to be looking at what their strategy could be uh, for 2021. But before we get into strategy. We're going to ask the question that we're going to ask every single guest as the first off, and the answers are going to vary a lot depending on um, who we're asking. But Nick, why is email valuable to you specifically? Um, so I would say that certainly as a, a channel, and the reason that I've specialised in email is uh, threefold. So one, fundamentally, you own the data that you use for email as a business. So you are not at the mercy of a social platform or a change in algorithm um, or somebody else's perception of your audience reach or what you're trying to do. You directly own and manage that data. So as we've seen in the times of the pandemic, when there's been so much change, one of the few constants is the ability to reach your own customers directly through email. So for me, that kind of makes it stand out from most of the other channels that are available. Second one is that you can absolutely establish a relationship with your customers or your prospects using email. Um, so because you know something about them, because you're able to kind of reference um, either their relationship with you or their activities with you, you can help them develop and mature as a customer uh, through kind of first to multiple use and then on to advocacy. And the last one is um, email is one of the only channels that really allows you an end-to-end -end view. So you know who you've sent to, what they interacted with, how they interacted, and whether they took that action that you're asking from them from a return of investment and from a uh, impact point of view. Um, so you know, unlike programmatic or PPC or any of the broadcast channels, it's one of the very few ways that you can actually, for every pound spent, you can say, this is what I got back from it. Um, and that makes it a really powerful tool from a from a marketing perspective. Yeah, thank you very much on that. Um, so to move into strategy then, because as I said, I think this is going to be on the lips of many people considering the time of year, um, perhaps quite broadly, but 
how do you go about strategy? Because it can be a bit of a daunting topic considering how large the scope is. Um, for businesses out there, for people who are interested in this, Nick, how would you go about it at the beginning of a year to make sure you've got a plan that you can see through for the next 12 months? Yeah, it's, uh, you know, it is a, a topic that everyone should kind of consider. I, th- I think one of the dangers and one of the things that I've seen with many businesses is that um, that because everyone is kind of working flat out, they're just trying to kind of keep ahead of the day job, that actually everyone moves really quickly into delivery. Um, so if there's a need for the business or a reaction, it's, let's get something out there. And so actually the strategy, the bit that should be the foundation for all that activity is kind of missed. And that's where you can suddenly find yourself uh, out of kilter or actually having to do a load of work and then retro work that because you've changed your mind or changed the plan. So the strategy is your foundation. So it is very much the the what uh, you want to achieve before you get into the, the how. Um, and the the kind of way that I sum that up, I um, there's a great, um, just to kind of change tact very completely, there's um, one of my uh, favorite stories is um, Alice in Wonderland. Um, and there is a great um, scene in that where Alice first meets the Cheshire cat in the tree. And to paraphrase it slightly, she says, um, Cheshire cat, do you know uh, what way I need to go? And the Cheshire cat responds and says, well, that depends on where you want to get to. And she says, well, I don't really know. And he says, well, it doesn't matter which way you go then. And for me, that really kind of sums up strategy. Strategy should be about um, what's the business objective? What's that trying to achieve? And how does that then cascade down into my marketing objectives? And how does that then cascade down into my actual activity? And being able to kind of really articulate and understand that is the kind of first step. Um, and then in terms of kind of being able to, to how do I strategize, how do I actually do that, then it is about that clear articulation of those objectives of what success looks like for the business to then be able to say, okay, so if I'm after acquisition or I'm after retention, if I need to increase my profitability, if I need to increase sales or decrease loss or whatever those business success metrics are, how is my marketing going to support that? And therefore, how is my campaigns going to support that? Yeah, I, I think uh, in a lot of instances, people are more creative than they think they are in terms of idea generation. And I, I, I do agree that sometimes you, you do get that idea. And I think everyone is is guilty of this sometimes where you get an idea, you're so passionate about this idea that you've come up with, that you do just want to go full steam ahead into it before thinking about exactly how you execute and, and the strategy behind it. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I think, um, no, no, not at all. I, I think the, you know, there is a place for that innovation and for that, you know, agile, you know, left of field thinking, but you can't run your whole business in that kind of way. So the strategy that kind of gives you the, this is what we want to achieve, that then allows you to be very clear about what your tactical execution is going to be, sets your business as usual your this is how we kind of implement this is the resource we need this is the cost this is the ways of working so that you're there 80 percent of the time with a with a kind of clear end-to-end way of working which then allows you a bit of headspace and a bit of maneuverability to be oh, actually we're going to react to this thing and let's do something really quick and really you know uh, really smart to be able to kind of latch onto that 
but it's not at the detriment of the of the kind of foundation work that we're kind of working to. Whereas if you're kind of bouncing around and everything and everything is a bit kind of chaotic and you know starting from scratch every time, it's really hard to kind of um, to be able to kind of maintain any optimal way of working. So you become unprofitable, you become resource heavy, and often you have no idea if what you're doing is making a difference or having any impact at all because you've got no form of kind of measurement or um, KPI that you're comparing results to actual um, cost. And Hannah, so you've been with Durang since the sort of tail end of 2018. So this is your third year, uh, third start of year almost in terms of strategy. What have you picked up over the years? Sort of what tips would you share with, with people who are interested in strategy at this time of year? Yeah, so I, I try to get um, a kind of plan or schedule for the client, uh, for every single client, just to look at what their busier times of year are. Um, a lot of my clients have sort of peaks and troughs of activity. So it's good to kind of have um, like a shared document that you can both see, I can see, the client can see from both sides to uh, look at pinpointing or penciling in some um, sends that they know are going to go ahead. And I find that once you've got those plugged in, it doesn't have to be in much detail, but if you know that you're busy over Black Friday, you're busy over Mother's Day, getting those in, and that's almost like the framework for you to then be a bit more uh, flexible or spontaneous with other sends because you've already kind of planned those bits in. So I think from my point of view, having a plan in place um, is the most useful tool and just to know what's what's coming up. And that, that actually segues quite nicely onto the next question, which is relating to strategy in 2021 very specifically. Uh, as we know, sort of strategy in most years, you'll be able to predict what's going to happen throughout the year. Yes, you might be wrong on a few things, but you're generally not going to be too far wrong. 2021, different story. I'm certainly not predicting what the world's going to look like in two weeks, let alone the rest of this year. So, Nick, should that should strategy become more adaptable? Should should people be doing anything different because it's 2021? Um, I would suggest conversely, it's even more reason to be strategic um, because so part of that strategy, you know, if we're going to break it down to some key phases, so you've got some kind of um, discovery, some kind of landscape of, uh, you know, a situation analysis of going, where are we? What are we doing so far? Where do we want to get to? Then you move into some kind of discovery of, right, what are the options? What could we do? And then you move into your solution and that then kind of fixes your path for a three or a six month or a 12 month period that actually then feeds your tactical. And as part of that, one of the um, analytics ways of approaching strategy is to use uh, a PESTEL uh, framework. So that's where you're looking at um, the political, economical, social, technological, legal, and environmental influences that might impact your business and your marketing. So you can use it in different ways. You can use it big or you can use it small. And I would suggest that a lot of businesses probably don't do that and therefore actually aren't already considering those influences that are going to uh, occur and impact on their business and therefore on their marketing. So by actually being more strategic, it should help protect a business and mitigate risk and also find those opportunities. So as much as there is uh, a lot of trouble that comes from change, there is also a lot of opportunity that comes from that. And we've seen as much for every business that's kind of really struggled during the pandemic, 
there have been businesses that have really been able to kind of flourish and take advantage of it. So it's it's being strategic to find those opportunities to know where to focus your activity rather than just almost pinballing between things to actually kind of try and make it uh, work. What are your thoughts on that, Hannah? Do you think a more difficult world to predict makes strategy all that more important? Yeah, I think so. I think um, I think the best kind of advice is to just have as much as you can in place and then leave the kind of little bits um, to the sort of final bit to change. So if you've got a campaign um, that's going to send, but you're not quite sure about what the wordings might be or what the restrictions might be uh, that we had recently with the latest um, lockdown, just get ev- as much as you can in place and then just leave those little bits that you can be more reactive with. Um, but I think also just be, you know, be kind to yourself as well. It's, it's it's tough and it's hard to kind of keep chopping and changing and, you know, uh, everyone's kind of doing their best. And I think if you can remain reactionary, then that's good. I think it's, you know, certainly with just, you know, an email filter on again, you know, lots of businesses have have remembered and remind themselves just how important that channel is to their customers and to their prospects and therefore is that part of that you know the strategy of what are what is our marketing plan for this year actually where does email sit within each of the channels that you have available to you and this sense of okay we may have to shift you know it's not just about presenting a product or a solution and hoping somebody gets that actually we need to inform we need to kind of, you know, to a certain extent, entertain and remember that there are, you know, this is not data, this is individuals at the end of every send that we make and actually work really hard to um, to ensure that we are humanising the marketing that we're doing. This beautiful blend of art and science that, that is marketing, I think is, uh, you know, should actually be front of mind in terms of that strategy of, of ways of working. Yeah. yeah, and I think in terms of in terms of content that will obviously be dictated by the strategy in, in previous years, it, it might have been a case where you you know exactly what you're going to do for the next twelve months, and, and very little will change. Um, you know, one thing I would say is that it is okay to put something in place and then to adapt as the year goes on. Um, that the content that is, as long as it is still feeding into that overriding strategy, uh, I don't see a problem in that whatsoever. Um, and um, yeah, yeah it, it is difficult to predict exactly what's going to happen. But as long as that strategy is in place, you know, those who those who have got it in place are going to be far better off than those who don't. Um, speaking specifically about sort of goals, um, I want to get your views on this, Nick, because you can you can set very clear goals in terms of in terms of numbers, in terms of you want to increase this by X amount, this by X percentage. Do you think that goals need to be that specific? Do you think that they need to go into the numbers or do you think they, they should be perhaps slightly more more generic? Um, so I think um, so I think numbers in terms of uh, campaign activity should be specific um, or at least be very deliberate as to why they're not specific. So if you are, you know, and again, it would depend on your type of business. So if, for example, you're a recruitment business and actually all of your emails are about getting someone to pick up the phone and talk to you, then it becomes much harder to measure. But if you're an e-commerce business, then clearly there should be a very clear correlation between the volume that I've delivered to the amount of open click conversion and what's the revenue that's driving that and how do I then optimize that um what I would say is that um 
again, this mixture of kind of strategy into tactical, that is a very tactical view. So, you know, that's a moment in time. What a business should also be doing is is having a longer term picture on that. So actually, fundamentally, yes, the delivery of revenue by a channel is important, but actually over time, what's the value of my customer? What's my lifetime value of a customer? Because that might be very different year one than it is year three. How do I move and progress a cohort of my supporters to become more valuable, more profitable to me or to turn them into my uh, VIPs? So I think those, you know, those bigger picture metrics of lifetime value, net promoter score, brand awareness, all of your tactical activity feeds into that, but may not have a direct correlation, but it allows you to have a more holistic view of the success of your business and your marketing. Yeah, I actually want to pick up on sort of lifetime value and brand awareness, because I think it's something that's been brought to the forefront in the last sort of year or so. We had many businesses where they aren't able to get that quick sell, uh, as it has usually been the case in the past. We saw, you know, hotels close. We're still seeing that now. Um, Hannah, do you think that brand emails have had a bit of a bit of a resurgence? And do you think that that should continue on even when these businesses are going to get more opportunity to sell like normal again? Yeah, definitely. I think um, during a time that we're going through at the moment, it's important to stay in the top of people's minds and interests. Um, And if you can sort of send more of those soft sell emails that I like to call them rather than hard sell, uh, where you might not be promoting um, bookings or um, travel or anything like that at the moment, I think that's only going to do your brand um, good and it, it could be you know recipes it could be workout videos it could be you know different ways to use our product blogs anything that kind of is in line with your brand and in line with your tone of voice um, is only going to do better for your audience and when people do come back to booking holidays um, and we're opening up the markets again you're going to be at the top of their memory because you stay in contact with with them and you were there for them during that time. And I, I think it's very important to keep up communications. Yeah, I think it's spot on there, Anna. And this is kind of part of what I was talking about, this humanization of your marketing. So, you know, there are great examples from the, some of the banks and building societies where they, in terms of their communication, it wasn't just about here's how we're deep cleaning our branches or here's, you know, um, what's happening in our response to COVID. But it was more about if you need to talk to someone, we have maximized our call center and there is someone here to talk to you if needs be. Or, you know, you know, exercise videos or, or well-being, you know, it might not be directly what your brand does, but it was just a way of um, maintaining that relationship and showing that the business cared. And you're right, there will be a pent up demand for a lot of travel and leisure when when the vaccine finally is is enough for us to get to go so you know it's there the business is there to be had it's stored up and it's then about actually as a consumer what's my choice and who do i go with first the brand that stayed in touch entertained me made me feel like they cared or the brand that just kept going you know we've got cheaper rooms cheaper rooms cheaper rooms cheaper rooms while demand wasn't there Mm. Yeah, I would I would agree completely with that and and sort of brand awareness becoming uh, or remaining as such an important part of strategy as you go throughout the year. Ultimately, uh, and I, I like the, the sort of soft sell versus hard sell elements because uh, a lot of people will sort of refer to those sorts of emails as salesy emails and non-sales emails which i think is uh, is completely incorrect to categorize them like that because you know a non-sales email is is not 
is not there not to get sales, if that makes sense. It, it's there for more of a longer term value. It's almost that short term gain versus that long term value. Um, and ultimately, yeah, I, I think brand email should definitely stay there. Um, I, I think it's in the past been slightly neglected just because seeing the value in those emails is more difficult. It's not there on the surface. If you've got those short term gains by this now, generally speaking, you'll, you'll see the revenue straight away. And it's very, very easy to determine how well it's done. Um, whereas longer term, it, it, you have to sort of go underneath the surface and, and really explore what that value is. And you'll generally find it, but you've got to make that effort to do it in the first place. Yeah. So yeah, really interesting. There is, um, you can, there is a way of auditing your content by um, measuring whether what you're sending is an ask or a give. Uh, so ask is in terms of um, I'm you know buy me uh, and even an offer or a discount is a ask because you're still asking someone to spend money with you as opposed to a give. So all of this we're talking about our kind of brand. So actually you know we care. This is how you can get in contact. This is how we you know want to help your uh, mental state. All of that is kind of giving. And, and often when you look at it through that filter and kind of almost take you know, your three months sends and go, right, how much of this is an ask? How much is given? What's that percentage? You will typically find that probably 80%, if not more of your content is an ask. And therefore, actually, the owners, you're just taking and taking. So if you can then deliberately start to shift that and use your brand awareness or your net promoter score or those, those you know, the, the bigger business measures that we were talking about to be able to justify the effort and resource, then actually, uh, in theory, it allows you to become more profitable because uh, brand advocacy is a way of staying more and more profitable than always having to find the new customer because you're churning through and because your overall experience is not as good as it could be. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And we know how how much cheaper it is to to keep existing versus getting in new ones. No doubt about that whatsoever. Um, I'd like to move on to our sort of secondary topic, which is more relating to data uh, and businesses maximizing their data in 2021. Uh, I mean, my my view on data is that it is the absolute start and end point of all email marketing. If you don't have the data you're not going to be able to send to anyone. If you do have uh, a lot of data and you have profile fields and you're not using them, it's a massive missed opportunity. Uh, so Nick, I wanted to get your views on how important it is to sort of review your data at this time of year um, and use that going forward. Yeah, no, I don't disagree with you. Um, so both of you will know that I have this, this phrase uh, in terms of data being the ugly baby of marketing that a lot of us know that we need to love it, but we don't necessarily want to give it a hug. And I think, I think that is true. You know, not many people go into marketing because they love data. If they did, they would be, you know, an analyst or a, or a data science. And so it's something that we kind of need to come to terms with. But yes, absolutely, data is the foundation of everything. Um, the only caveat or consideration for that I would give you is that uh, it, you may have a number of people that you have very limited data on, certainly if you've just collected your email address. So there are some other considerations at that, on those early stages in terms of you may not always be able to be as relevant as you want to be, but you can certainly stop yourself from being irrelevant by looking at that customer experience and where that customer is likely to be in their relationship with you. So again, that's the art and science coming together. Can I entertain and inform as well as uh, be more tactical in my content. 
but then your data strategy should be about how can I enhance the data that I have so that it grows and I can then begin to use it far more tactically and uh, and targeted um, in in what I've got. So yes, um, you know, understanding your data is absolutely. Um, one of the ways to do that is uh, potentially to start to look at whether your business and you have a data dictionary. So this is a way of being able to go, what data is available to me? What is held within my marketing system or my CRM system, or actually in the multiple systems I might be using in my business? And is there a way that I can start to join that? And do I understand it? Do I understand the context? Do I understand what I've got available to me so that I know what I can use for today? And actually then I can start to plan what I might want to do in the future, coming back to our strategy. And then actually, how do I start to put together a data enhancement, a data growth program to start to develop that as well? Yeah, I think um, just add to that, it's interesting that even though data is just kind of binary and numbers, um, you don't think it's the most creative or exciting thing. It allows you to be creative and it allows you to be more exciting with your emails and make them more bespoke. So it's kind of it's one of those things that you need to need to have, I guess. Mm. And one of the things that we really started to push in in quarter four of last year and are continuing to do so throughout this year, um, you know, hyper personalization is, is something that, that we've introduced. Um, there might well be a podcast on it in the next couple of months. So stick around for that one. But, we're, you know, that that ultimately is a combination of excellent design and having the data in place. It, it's almost bringing that data to life um, and, you, and you look at it and you, you you know, in a lot of cases, it's just, it's really lovely content. Um, and you can forget that actually it's the, it's the data that where that all starts and, and finishes. Um, looking at sort of profile fields and maximizing your data, Nick, um, I'm sure there are going to be a lot of businesses in a position where they have uh, a subscriber base, where they've got a large number there, but they don't necessarily have a lot of profile field data um, and, and want to want to obtain it. What are the methods by which you can do that without being disruptive? Yeah, so fundamentally, yeah, as two easy examples for how to kind of develop your data, um, and email was a great way of being able to kind of do this because, again, you've got that direct relationship. You know exactly who you've sent to and who's responding. So to put those two things together makes it much, much simpler than a lot of the other channels. So fundamentally, the simplest and quickest way of doing it is to ask. Ask your customers to kind of provide data for you. Now, the trick here is to make sure that when you're asking, there is some understanding of that there is a value to it. If I give something, what do I get back? So we come back to our ask and kind of give, uh, push and pull. Um, so, and then how... Um, effortless can you make that process so it might be that actually you start really simple um so if we take uh, a hotel brand so if they've got uh, hotels both on the coast and rural then actually you can very simply put together an email that's got two images one coastal one rural and says you know what's your dream destination or what's your mood for today and you collect that click and then that allows you to then start to then use that, those responses to become more tailored in, in what you're doing in the future. One of the other ways of doing it is to actually um, use your preference center and enhance your preference center. So preference centers are not just about you know, how do you want to be contacted, what's your channel, but actually can be about collecting date of birth, for example. Um, and again, we put this in fact that 
when you're collecting information, you know, often starting simple and then expanding and trickle feeding that data is a much more effective approach than asking someone to complete a lot of the information right up front when they haven't yet really established a relationship with you, haven't really established where the value is. So just using you know, name and email address to get somebody to allow you to send to them is a good starting point. And then you can start to, through your welcome journey and your onward journeys, start to develop that. So, you know, we'd love to send you a surprise and a treat on your birthday. There's the give. Okay, I'm probably going to give you my birthday because I would like some of that. You know, what's your favorite locations or what's your reasons for travel? If we kind of just keep with the hotel um, model for the moment, um, you know, what, where, in what month do you tend to kind of book your holiday? So the information that somebody can obviously see that actually if that's provided, the expectation is that then the next set of communications that you get are far more relevant, far more tailored, far more helpful, and therefore it becomes mutually beneficial and uh, you've started to enhance the data that you hold on your individuals. Yeah, and I think ultimately, if you look at studies and surveys of why do people unsubscribe from emails generally, and there's plenty out there, you look at the common theme and it will always be a, a top two or three answer is that the emails aren't relevant enough to me. Ultimately, obtaining that profile data gives the opportunity to be more relevant, which is, is what people want. Um, so, and, and actually, they're linked. So I... Um, sit on the data and marketing association the dma's email council and they issue every year both a consumer tracker and a marketer's tracker for email and within that consumer's tracker the top reasons for unsubscribe are uh it's um volume and lack of control over content and it's irrelevant um, and I think all of those are probably combined, actually, they all overlink. So I've been in a number of focus groups in my time um, where uh, an individual will say, actually, I'll get fed up, I sign up and I get bombarded by email and I hate it. But as you continue that conversation, and again, if we just stick with kind of um, uh, travel and leisure for a moment, when you start talking about, well, why do you travel? And you go, well, it's either because I love food or actually I love entertainment and I love this kind of music and I'll go to a gig that's you know being hosted for and I'll stay in a room. And then they sort of say, you know, and I want to hear everything. I don't want to, you know, I, I, if, if it's my type of music, tell me everything you can about where I can see it and what's going to happen. And so actually, because it's relevant, the volume piece doesn't even come into it. And that's... That's your balancing act. The more useful. It's a little bit like people go, I hate cold calling. And most people do. But actually, if your Sky subscription is about to expire and BT phone you and I've got, you know, say you've got a half price deal for new subscribers, actually that becomes convenient and uh, coincidental. It doesn't become jarring. And that's what the relevancy does for you or the relevance to use, <laughs> ignoring the grammar for a second. <laughs> <laughs> and looking at sort of, segmented versus segmented sends versus send to all sends hannah you'd have had plenty of experience of both how much value do you see in those campaigns that are able to be segmented yeah so much value just because you're speaking to those people on a kind of one-to-one -one basis of what it is that they're interested in like nick said um i mean you could do all sorts of things you know whether they're a prospect or a customer you're going to speak to a potential customer a lot differently to a loyal customer and it's that can just be down to, down to tone of voice um 
and or or it could be postcode you know local and national you're going to be upselling um if you own a hotel you're going to be upselling restaurants to a local audience whereas you won't be selling that to a national audience because they're too far away they're not bothered about booking dinner so yeah it's it's very useful about um making for making the emails more bespoke to the person yeah absolutely um and we'll move on to our final section of today's podcast which is a bit of show and tell uh that nick you've done for us so we've asked you to select an email that you particularly like for those who are watching on video we'll actually put that on the screen for those who are listening on audio we'll put that link in the description but nick you've decided to go with pizza which means you've got a thumbs up from me already but but just go through exactly why you like this email yeah, so it's from uh, a company called, well, I pronounce it Uni. I don't know if there's a proper way. I, I probably should have checked that before uh, before today. Um, but it's double uh, O-N-I. Um, and there's a couple of things that I kind of like, um, specifically about the kind of email itself, but actually what happens before that. And if we kind of take into account that the majority of people when asked why they open an email, it's about actually their relationship with the brand and what they've seen before, not about the subject line and what it might contain at that moment in time. It's sort of important that actually to understand that the relationship you've got with your prospects and your customers is the biggest driver to whether they're going to open your email or not. And Uni effectively as a business offer really lovely, well-designed, well-made uh, wood, uh, coal and gas fired pizza ovens for use in tabletop and gardens. But actually all of their content and the way they approach this is not about the oven itself but it's about the joy and the love of making pizza and bringing family and friends together the culture of so the email that i've chosen is actually the first one in their welcome series so if you sign up this is the kind of first one that you get and yes there is kind of product in there and yes um they've got some fantastic photography so it entertains before you've even started just in the look and feel but actually the email is as much about um joining their kind of pizza experts and learning more about pizza it's about um how easy it is to create your own kind of pizza the difference in flavor and excitement and taste that you'll get from your own home fired pizza than if you're kind of buying it from the shop and that's its lead and it's almost a Oh, and if you want to buy one, that's okay. But that's not their kind of, that's not where their focus is. So I just really like the tone, the approach, the look and feel of it. The fact that it is about a lifestyle and things that are kind of exciting and entertain me. It's giving me access to a load of content um, from videos and, and social in terms of this kind of love of pizza. And almost a secondary thought that says, and if you happen to want to buy one, that's absolutely fine. And Strangely, for Christmas, I got a pizza oven and I can tell you now it is the best pizza outside of Italy that I've ever, mm. ever had. So, uh, yeah. It, That's, a big call. That's a big call <laughs> saying that. We're, we're going to have to try some now. You're going to have to send it to post or something. That's a big shout. <laughs> yeah, it is a glowing review. Um, yeah. Well, yeah I, the travel bag. So when times are different, when we next have the opportunity to meet up, I'll see if I can fit the pizza oven in the car and we'll uh, we'll add that to the list of uh, ways, <laughs> to, uh, ways to share. I'll wait for that already. Um, 
Yeah, I, I find it very interesting that you've picked up on sort of the experience and how much they focus on that. This is something I harp on about all the time is that there are too many businesses that focus on the means by which you achieve the experience that they're selling. Um, I, I forget the quote itself. I'm sure somebody will be able to uh, correct me on this, but Apple, for example, if you were to ask Apple, what do they sell? They don't say that they sell phones. They don't say that they sell devices. They, they say that they sell dreams or something along those lines, which is the whole point of it. That That's what you're selling. It's just, the product is the means by which you achieve the, it. So, I think it's great that a, a business like that is is focusing on that overall experience and lifestyle. Um, and, you know, the pizza oven itself, whilst obviously a brilliant product, is just the means by which that gets achieved. Yeah. And if I put my marketing hat back on, yeah, much as I'm still thinking about pizza, but actually, you know, you know it's a considered purchase. They're not the cheapest way of kind of being able to kind of get your pizza oven, but, you know, the quality stands. But actually, if I bought one, then what happens if I've just gone by product, if that's where I've pushed it and I've bought one, where's the long term? Whereas actually I'm already, uni are already creating that sense of community. They're already creating that sense of keep coming back and watching our videos and joining in our, our lifestyle, which then clearly means that if I want to get the right wood or the right next pan to use or the next thing that they're going to, you know, my apron, then I'm likely to look at them first before I look anywhere else. And I will continue to consume their content. I will continue to share you know, the content with, with my friends, et cetera. And that's great marketing because actually it starts to build a world of its own. If it was just, we've got some pizza ovens, do you want one? Thank you very much. All of the rest of that disappears and there's no longevity, no, no relationship with that. Mm. Yeah, I, I kind of agree on the whole, um, even though it's about the product, it's not really about the product. Um, there's uh, a few kind of brands that I love purely for the packaging that they put stuff in. And, you know, it, it's not really done to the product. So I guess it's, yeah, it's kind of dressing up in the right way. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you for sharing that with us, Nick. And I think we'll um, we'll leave that there. So my thanks obviously go out to Nick and Hannah, who've been able to provide their insight today on strategy and data and everything else in between. Um, I'll be back with a new episode next month. So stay tuned for that one. But until then, stay safe. <laughs>